You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What is good, everybody? Welcome to the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero, and with me, as always, for the Oddcast, Brandon Lee Gowden from Bleeding Green Nation. What's up, BLG? Stats, glad to be here with you, as always, on everyone's favorite podcast on the SB Nation NFL show. Amen. We hope you're having a good day. I am in a good mood. I'm back from vacation. I'm rested. I'm renewed. I'm refreshed. We went to Rhode Island, did a little beach vacation. I don't know. Are you a beach guy? I do like a beach, Stats. I feel like I've, I've fallen back in love with the beach, going to uh, the Jersey Shore last year. How was it up there? It's fantastic, although I will say once you have kids, the beach vacation is slightly <laughs> different than, you know, like I used to be like sit on the beach with a drink for hours and just relax. Mm. I used to actually read my fantasy football magazines. That was like my tradition. Now it's like, I can't read a fantasy football magazine. I got kids trying to eat the sand. I got a kid trying to crawl into the ocean. Like, so it's not as relaxing, but look, vacation is always good. At least they had fun, right? That's, that's the goal. Yes, they had a blast. So again, yeah, I guess I had fun too, sort of, (laughs) but uh, we did get to go out to a couple of nice adult dinners, which, you know, I Mm -hmm. value more and more now with two kids. So Life is good. All right. We are smack dab in the middle of our divisional previews. You and I get the AFC North today, which we're going to do. But before we get there, there's a couple of news items that we need to address. Um, One involving Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, because it was a tweet from Adam Schefter. And I'm just going to read it here. This offseason, the Packers offered Aaron Rodgers a two-year contract extension that would have tied him to Green Bay for five more seasons and made him the highest-paid quarterback and player in football. Rodgers declined the offer. Proof this is not about the money. Your reaction, BLG? Uh, So before we get on the show, that's a little peek behind the curtain. You actually told me this isn't like totally news and that the athletics Bob McGinn had previously reported this, which, first of all, Adam Schefter committing one of my pet peeves, uh, which is like people presenting this whole new information, like or this old information as it's new information. Don't like that. But the fact that Schefter <laughs> is saying this, though, obviously, he's not just like saying this on his own volition. Like someone prompted him to say this. And uh, you have to wonder who it is and why. Yeah. So uh, Bob McGinn in early May, Bob McGinn of The Athletic reported in recent months, according to sources, the Packers have offered to make the 37 year old Rogers the NFL's highest paid quarterback so yeah there's a, the the five-year thing from Schefter's kind of new but this isn't like a new thing but you're right the timing of this and the fact that it's out there is the juicy part of it and there and the the Schefter it's not about the money like what is why is he throwing that in there you know like 
whose message is that? Is that like, you think the Packers put that out there to be like, see, look, we're trying to do everything we can to make this guy look good. Or do you think Roger's side put it out there being like, it's not about the money. They have wronged me. Yeah. I mean, the last part would think you would think like that's coming from Rogers, right? Like that's like his side of it. That's his argument the whole time. That's what he said basically, I think, or, or not so many words has tried to say that, but the beginning of the message certainly seems more sympathetic to the Packers and like, look, Hey, we tried, we've been trying to do everything we can. Like, you know, the, the Packers kind of want to make Aaron Rodgers look bad here a little bit, or, you know, or at least like make him, uh, you know, make themselves at least look, look like they're trying. So right. it almost seems like it has like motivation from both sides. It's really weird. But if you're the Packers, like what? I mean, see, here's the thing. We don't know the structure of the deal, right? I was going to say, what else can you do if you're the Packers besides offer him money? But I think the real issue is that Rodgers wants the Packers to be tied to him for the foreseeable future. And the Packers like to have the year to year flexibility, especially because they drafted Jordan Love in the first round. So I think that may be the issue. So I don't know, like the actual details of the contract. Schefter does say it would have tied him to the Packers for five more seasons, but like technically Jimmy Garoppolo is tied to the 49ers for this season, but they can cut him and pay like nothing in the cap penalty. So is he really tied to the team? Like not really. So we don't, the devil's in the details there. Um, But I just, I don't know. The fact that this is out there seems weird to me. Training camp is, what are we, we're days away from training camp now at this point, and nothing seems to have changed from when we first heard about this the day of the NFL draft to now. Am I wrong? So uh, I don't think you're wrong. There's an article on Acme Packing Company, shout out, uh, by you know our own Justice Mosqueda here, who it was actually about like a week or so ago, he wrote, if Aaron Rodgers was leaving the Packers, we'd know by now. And I just don't agree with that, Justice. I like the vibe I get from this tweet, like seems to read to me like he is not going to play for this team. Like, I, I just don't get how we see this tweet like we just saw. And then he shows up for training camp next week. Right. Like that doesn't make sense to me. You have been staunch. Aaron Rodgers is not showing up guy from the beginning. I think he's going to show up. And he's going to claim that we blew this all out of proportion, mm. even though he specifically likes the fact that we're all talking about it. Look, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he doesn't show up. But if you're going to walk away, why wait to announce it? Like, what are you waiting for? You know, what will be different in two weeks when training camp starts versus now? If you're not showing up, just say you're not showing up. And the fact that he hasn't to me means he is going to show. All right. We should make a bet. Oh, no. What are we going to put on it? (laughs) I don't like these bets. I always end up losing. Um, it's just the vibe though, Stat. Seriously though, like I just I don't get how I just said it. I'm gonna repeat myself. I just don't get like how I see that. Like, why is that out there? If he's showing up, why is that being put out there? Why is the team? If the team thinks he's gonna show up, why are they putting that out there as he's gonna come? And if he's gonna show up, why is he putting that out there? Like, I don't understand why this tweet is out here if everything is going to work out. I know it's not gonna be perfect if he comes back, but like it's just a weird vibe to me. It is a weird vibe, and like. It's just so clearly that somebody is using Schefter, you know, like this tweet is not about Adam Schefter being like the people need to know this information. This is Schefter carrying somebody's water. And I like I just it's a weird it's a weird tweet. And I guess we'll see how it plays out. I mean, look, eventually something is going to he's either going to show up or he's not. Um, 
You think he's not going to show up. I think he will. The other piece of business that we need to get to before we get to the AFC North preview is Cam Akers. An absolutely devastating injury for him. It's an Achilles. He was going to have a huge role with the Rams this year. The Rams are such a run-heavy team. Uh, I know it's, it stinks for him, obviously, BLG, but he is a running back, and we tend to think that they are somewhat interchangeable. How big a deal do you think this is for the Rams? Well, if I'm not mistaken, didn't you guys have Cam Akers on your all-NFC uh, West team, RJ and you, on the look-ahead last week? 100%. Yep, curse of the look-ahead. Sorry, Cam Akers. <laughs> So there you go. It's it's a big deal. You're talking about not only the best running back in on his team, but in the division, arguably. So uh, obviously a big deal, especially for a team that's kind of like in this all-in kind of mode, like the Rams are. Obviously now Daryl Henderson moves up to running back one, and there's a lot of question out there. So that's, should the Rams sign someone? Todd Gurley's still out there. I think he's only 27 still. Um, wow. Adrian Peterson, Sean McCoy, like Trent Gore. Obviously, some of these names are older, but there, there are still people out there on the market. Um, what do you think the Rams should do? I don't think they should. I mean, if they could get like an Adrian Peterson, I guess, for like the league minimum, why not? And throw him into that bucket and see if he can compete. But I just don't think you should spend any money on running backs, period, ever. Draft them. Run them dry, let them go. There's no reason to spend any money. I know it sounds horrible. It's just the nature of the position. And I think that McVay is going to be, I think Henderson will be absolutely fine in there. It's a big injury for Akers. He may never be the same. Achilles injuries scare me, BLG. I feel like you never get the same explosiveness that you used to have. But for the Rams in general, if you told the Rams, somebody on your offense is going to be lost for the season. Don't yeah, I, I this sounds bad to say, but don't you think they would have picked Cam Akers? They're not picking Stafford. I don't think they're picking Cup or Woods, right? Wouldn't they have picked Cam Akers? Uh that's a good way to phrase it. I mean, maybe you could say Higby. I don't know if they, they really like need right. to have their tight end. Okay. I don't know. Well, like, the running game is like a big part of their identity, though, I feel like. Um, maybe less so now after getting uh Matthew Stafford. But uh looking at their depth chart stats, I just like like not knowing the Rams as intimately as a Rams fan, like some of these names, like Xavier Jones, Raymond Calais, Jake Funk, which I don't even know is a real. Oh, person, I hope it's, it's I name. hope it's him. Let Jake Funk become the starter. <laughs> and then uh, Otis Anderson. So like the depth chart isn't exactly uh, like full of great options behind him. So maybe from that perspective, the depth isn't that great. I think Daryl Henderson is a nice guy, but I think he's kind of more of like a complimentary running back than he is like a workhorse guy. So it'll be interesting to see him in this bigger workload. Uh, I think the Rams should kind of stick with those young guys in training camp. I think like it's a good strategy to kind of see what you have because you don't need to rush to sign Adrian Peterson. Like you know what he is and he's going to be out there. I'm like, you're not like, Oh no, we missed out on him. Like I think he'll be out there if you need him. So I would, I for training camp, I would run with the young guys, see what they can do in the preseason. Maybe someone stands out. Maybe it's like, Oh wow, there's this rookie and he came out of nowhere and he's looking awesome. And we'll just run with him and Henderson will be fine. But if they don't and everyone kind of stinks and you just have Henderson there, then yeah, I think I would actually look to, to bring in uh, Adrian Peterson. I don't think that's crazy thought at all. And plus, I think, honestly, if you look around the league, if you want, well, I guess the Rams don't have a ton of draft picks to swing a trade. I was going to say maybe you could swing a trade for somebody's backup or something like that. But Hmm. I agree. I think waiting is fine. There'll be guys out there if you need them. And you're right about it becoming uh, the Rams identity. Since Sean McVay took over as coach, they have averaged 20 plus rushing touchdowns a year as a team. So they Hmm. definitely rely on the run game. 
and they're going to need somebody to emerge there. Okay, why don't we do this? We'll take a break, and when we come back, then we will dive into the full AFC North preview. Um, There were some interesting decisions. It's weird how sometimes it works. Sometimes the divisions have a lot of good players, but then I'm thinking, like, who's the best in the division? And it's a lot harder than I thought. So we'll get to that next. Diving into the AFC North here on the SB Nation NFL show. We'll start on offense like we usually do BLG. Quarterback, this one was easy for me. I don't. I think we're going to be on the same page here. For me, it was Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I also have Lamar Jackson stats, much to the delight of one Kyle Barber from Baltimore B-Town, of course, who listens to this podcast. Um, uh, I think it's pretty clear, but I don't think it's impossible stats. Actually, to phrase it even more strongly, I think there's a very real chance that by the end of this season, going into next year, it could be Baker Mayfield who takes over Lamar. I don't think that's impossible. Wow, I thought you were going to say it could be Joe Burrow. I thought that's the way you were going to go. You're that high on Baker. Uh, I'm not. Like, I've never been the biggest Baker guy, but I'm looking at his situation that he has there, and I also think you know just the perception of Lamar is kind of gonna like diminish, even if he kind of has the exact same season he had like last year. But if he can, if it, it comes down to the playoff thing, if he stumbles in the playoffs again, and let's say in the meantime like Baker wins, like that perception is gonna change in a big way. So uh, I think the potential is there for Baker to overtake him. Burrow, I, I don't think so, just because he's coming off that injury, and I just think this year kind of might be like a lost season for him i still like his long-term potential or i'm intrigued by him but but not quite yet um stats i saw something yesterday on twitter from pff about i think baker mayfield was like their highest graded quarterback or third sorry third highest graded quarterback from week six on last year like he had a really good run to end the season he did have a good run to end the season and i love baker uh but i do think lamar is number one although you kind of pointed it out like Lamar's success depends so much on his physical gifts. And what I mean by that is like, obviously Baker has to be able to throw the ball to complete and he needs physical gifts for that. But like the Browns come up with a play, they scheme a play to get a receiver open. Baker throws the ball and the play is what the play is with the Ravens and Lamar. I feel like, Hey, Lamar, we're going to block this play for you. And you could probably get five yards. But if you really want to have success, like you're just going to have to make three dudes miss and pick up like an extra 15 yards. I feel like so much of his what makes him good and and what is going to lead to his success is just on him being incredible. He doesn't get a ton of help from his teammates. And in order to maximize their offense, he's just got to just flat out make people miss. Yeah, to his credit, that's why he's so hard to defend because, like, you can, you know, scheme things up or have things lined up a certain way, but Lamar Jackson's going to make plays, like, outside of what you can expect him to do or, like, you know, like, outside of what the scheme is, like, just making plays on his own, which makes him an incredible talent and why he is quarterback one ultimately on this list. He was fourth in red zone efficiency last year, or the Ravens were fourth in red zone efficiency and fourth in third down efficiency. And it's a, to me, it's in part because... No one knows what Lamar's going to do. He can throw it. He can run it. And in, cr- in clutch situations, he's almost impossible to stop. If it's like a short yardage situation, like third and three, and as soon as they snap the ball, it's like terrifying because you don't know if he's going to you know, pitch it to the running back, take it himself. I feel like it's such a weapon that the Ravens know how to use it well. Best running quarterback in the NFL, Lamar Jackson. Yes. For our quarterback. Running back is also 
a runner, and arguably, you could argue, the best runner in the NFL period is Nick Chubb. Uh, this is a guy, Stats, who has averaged 5.2 yards per carry in his career. He was at 5.6 last year. He's 28 career rushing touchdowns, and he only has four fumbles in his career. Nick Chubb is just obviously a beast. There was a moment when the Rounds played the Eagles last year, and poor Joe Osman um, just got stiff-armed like, into oblivion by Nick <laughs> Chubb. Like, that guy is a beast. He's awesome. He's a monster. And the thing I like about him is he can make big plays as well. Over the past three years, he has eight touchdowns of 20 yards or more. Like he's not just, you know, the touchdown vulture in the red zone. He's a threat every single time he touches the ball. And the thing that I give him extra credit for, too, is that the Browns whole offense functions off of him. They're such a play action heavy team that. He's got to carry the responsibility kind of for the success of the offense because when they go straight drop back with Baker, to me, they're not as effective. And he, everybody knows he's getting the ball. Everybody gears up to stop him first, I believe, rather than Baker. Like he's the target that's keeping the defensive coordinators up at night, and he still comes through. He's absolutely fantastic. I agree with you. It's Nick Chubb. Did you have a second guy on your list? I didn't. Originally, I was like, hmm, who is this? Who is this here? And then I was like, oh, I forgot about Nick Chubb is on the Browns. Yeah, let me add him. It's easily him. Well, who's your second guy? Well, I, if the, he was the first guy that popped into my head. And then I was like, what am I doing? It's Nick Chubb. I want to give mm. Joe Mixon a little love. I think Joe mm. Mixon is really good. I don't think Cincinnati uses him nearly enough. He got off to a slow start last year and then picked it up. I think he, in terms of receiving and rushing, he's the best combination in the division. The Browns don't really use Nick Chubb that much in the passing game. Uh, I, I think Joe Mixon is a really good player. He's not the best in the division, I agree. But to me, he's good enough that I just wanted to throw him a little bone and give him a little love. An honorable mention for Joe Mixon. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've never just been like super impressed when I've watched him. Like I've never like with Nick Chubb, like he does things like, oh, my gosh, like this guy is amazing. This It's clear that Nick Chubb like isn't just a product of his offensive line. Like a lot yes. of good running backs are. And obviously you need a, 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 an offensive line to help you. But like he does things beyond his offensive line that you're like, wow, this guy is just good. And with Mixon, uh, I've never just seen him pop in a way that makes me like think he's really incredible. Just seems like a nice player. I mean, he's only at three point six yards per carry last year now. To the point of the offensive line, Bengals offensive line, obviously not great, actually pretty bad. So maybe, you know, you get him behind a better line and his numbers go up, but okay. How did they not take an offensive lineman in the first round of the draft? When you see, like, when you factor in what happened to Burrow and they're all their pass protection issues, and then you just mention that with Joe Nixon, who, you like you said, you don't think he's a bad running back. How did they go wide receiver in the first round? Well, we're going to get to Mr. Jamar Chase super, almost now here at Stats. Um, I think if we're going wide receivers and we're picking three, you know, because the starting offense, I think you will agree with me that Odo Beckham Jr. belongs on this list, correct? I'm so glad you put him on because I put him on and I know what people are going to say, right? Like, oh, come on. He's always hurt. It's, it's not the Odell Beckham from the Giants, but I just I just feel like people are sleeping on how good he is because he's been banged up. Like he has, he has to be on the list because of track record. Yeah, he has to be there and disability. We, we've seen him, you know, be able to do some incredible things. Um, now, you know, the injuries and he hasn't had that production in a few years. So maybe we are overrating him potentially, you know, maybe he doesn't live up to it. If the injury takes a toll and that plays, you know, a part into him not being productive this season, but I have him as one of my spots. Then I have, 
Tyler Boyd stats. Yes. As a, yes, as one of my other receivers. Tyler Boyd uh, was, I believe, ninth in the NFL last year in terms of to- total first down catches. I like Tyler Boyd a lot. I think he's going to be this like really nice, trusty, dependable weapon for Joe Burrow for years to come. I think he's probably one of the more underrated players if we're going underrated. I don't think he quite gets the credit he deserves. Um, I don't even know necessarily like that he's the best receiver on their team because I think T. Higgins is pretty good too. But I just I like Tyler Boyd more more, and I like what his uh, track record is thus far. And I think he can get even better. I don't I don't think we've seen like the best from Tyler Boyd yet necessarily. That's another reason I was really surprised by what Cincinnati did in the first round because I like their wide receivers already. I really think they have very solid wide receivers. I absolutely had Tyler Boyd on my list as the slot guy. Since 2018, he has the third most routes run from the slot. He has Mm -hmm. 51 catches of 15-plus yards in that span. That leads the NFL. And Joe Burrow has not been the quarterback at Cincinnati during that entire time. I think he's really good. He was my slot pick for this entire division. So the last receiver spot here I have, I have like multiple slashes. I need you to help me with this one, Stats. Hmm. I have Jarvis Landry, which I kind of felt weird about with already having Boyd. Then I have slash Deontay Johnson, slash T. Higgins, who I already mentioned, slash Jamar Chase, slash Chase Claypool. Oh, so who didn't you put on the list in the last spot? Oh, yeah. So I have five guys there. I need help deciding who is the other wide receiver here. Yeah, there was no like clear cut number one choice for me. Uh, I gave it to Jarvis Landry Hmm. and maybe I'm biased here. I know he doesn't have like a ton of touchdowns, which goes goes against my usual M.O. I just think he's he's just really a solid receiver. He's not super flashy. I just think he's effective as hell. He makes big catches on third down in crucial situations and big moments. Deontay Johnson, I I don't know. I, I wasn't in love with it. I really debated Chase Claypool was like my other my other choice. He is a monster weapon. I like the fact that he scores touchdowns on the ground and through the air. He made big plays for a Steeler offense that really did not even try to make a lot of big plays last year because Ben's arm was kind of falling off of his of his body. Um, I debated between Landry and Claypool, but I gave it to Landry because I felt like he was more proven. I'd like to see another year out of Chase Claypool, even though I think he will do that. Uh, I gave it to Landry there, just maybe favoring the veteran guy a little bit. On the touchdowns note, I just wanted to bring up how you uh, kind of admitted that you had to give uh, some slack to George Kittle because he wasn't scoring touchdowns. But in fact, he was not being targeted in the red zone. So how much of it is his fault? And uh, I just wanted to bring that up because obviously Kyle Shanahan, who you think is infallible and can do no wrong, is not. How dare you (laughs) slander? You misrepresent my Kyle Shanahan position. Continue. Um, yeah, so I just feel tough about Landry because uh, having him with Boyd, like that's two guys who aren't stretching the field there. And like, I, I just don't love that. And being traumatized from the Eagles, like playing this station, the <laughs> station offense and not having this like vertical threat. So I almost want to put Higgins in here, but I just feel like that's a little premature. Uh, I'm going with upside. And then Chase, I think I just can't put him here. He's too unproven, but his potential is intriguing, obviously. Yes. Um, so. Uh, I guess we can just give it to Landry and not worry too much about like actual because the team isn't actually playing a real game on the field. We're kind of just going by, I guess, the best, regardless of like the perfect fit. Um, So, okay. I like, uh, or I should say, 
this division could, and if we did this again next year, all the receivers could be different. Like, I would not be stunned at all if it was like Claypool, Johnson, and maybe Jamar Chase. Like, it's that's vo- how volatile I think that position is for this division. So at tight end, I think there's only one right answer, and it's Mark Andrews. I mean, who else are you putting there? <laughs> that's the thing. Like, some of yeah. these are super easy. This is one of them. He's an absolute monster, especially in the red zone. He has 12 red zone touchdowns over the last two years. That is tied for the most in the league with Travis Kelsey. And here's the thing. Who else is getting the ball in the red zone for the Ravens? Mm. Everybody in the world knows this guy's going to be the primary target, and he still comes through. He's really the primary target the whole passing game. Uh, Mark Andrews to me by a mile, and this was one of the easiest decisions we had to make. So would you rather have Mark Andrews or George Kittle? Oh, man. I'd like to see George Kittle with a real quarterback (laughs) before I make that decision. I can't believe this is even a a hesitation for you. Obviously, you want George Kittle. I was just teasing you about the touchdown thing. Uh, Why don't we move to the offensive line stats, which I think is very easy to say, and it's the entire Browns offensive line, except (laughs) I put in Bonnie Stanley at left tackle instead. Yeah, that was a crushing loss for Baltimore when he went down. Uh, Obviously, running is so much a part of what they do there. I I think people kind of slept on how big a deal that was. I feel like... They couldn't run up the middle as well. They couldn't run to the outside as well without him. But you're right. Other than that, it's like the Cleveland Browns line, which is crazy to say because Joe Thomas isn't there anymore. But it's like, mm-hmm. no, they're, that's a better line now than they ever had when Joe Thomas was there. And that's no slight to him, of course. Uh, the Browns get it, right? Build build around your offensive line. You get a strong run game. You can protect Baker. And I can't believe I just said the statement out loud. The Browns get it. They have PFF's number one overall offensive line. Stats, the best offensive line in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. So that is Joel Botonio at left guard for us, J.C. Treader at center, Wyatt Teller, a really good pickup that everyone loved at right guard, and then Jack Conklin at right tackle. It's easy. Like, again, this is like the tight end discussion. It's not, it's not difficult here, so let's keep it rolling. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Talk about easy decisions, BLG. Edge rusher for this division, <laughs> like, don't even think about it. It's TJ Watt, it's Miles Garrett, and yep. there's re- it's not even close in terms of anybody else. TJ Watt had 15 sacks, led the NFL last year. Stats had 14 and a half the year before, and then he had 13 the year before that. So God. you like touchdowns, and you like guys who get sacks. So TJ Watt, obviously one of your guys, easy pick. Um, I was actually reading something today. I think it's the last player to repeat as a sack leader in the NFL was like Reggie White in the late 80s. Wow. Um, another Eagles tie-in for you. Yeah. So TJ Watt, I think he has a chance to do it. I think he could do it again. I think he could have another monster year this season and maybe be that kind of player to do something historic. And obviously Garrett's going to have a really good season too. Yeah, Watt uh, in the last two years leads all Ed Rushers in sacks with 29 and a half and quarterback hits with 46. And he's second to only Shaq Barrett in total pressures. He's everything you want out of an edge rusher. I I think he plays the run pretty well, too. Like, he's Mm -hmm. a prime defensive player of the year candidate. And for Miles Garrett, like, he's got 51 career games and 42 and a half career sacks. He's an absolute game wrecker. Three straight double-digit sack years. 83 quarterback hits in 51 games. I mean... The dude tried to straight up murder somebody on the field with his helmet and nobody cares about it because he's such a good pass rusher. 
when you look at Miles Garrett's like physique, like his frame, yes. like like he's a monster. He's just like a monster. It's it's no surprise that guy is like a dominant player. He's a freak. He might be the most physically intimidating player in the league right now. Like if you mm. look at him, he's t- he's six four. He's shredded. Like he doesn't. He's not just like big and thick. Like Aaron Donald is thick. Miles Garrett is cut. Like he's got muscles on muscle. He's like a frightening human. And he always wears like very tight clothes too to accentuate it. Like when you look at him, you're like, oh my God. It reminds me of how I used to feel with uh, Dwight Howard in the NBA. Like you don't see human beings that look like that walking around. Miles Garrett to me is very physically imposing. If you have the idea, an idea of a player you're listening to this who is the most physically Imposing or scary? That's a, what's the term you use? That intimidating, I guess. I don't know. Intimidating. Uh, tweet at us uh, at Brandon Gowton at Stats Fire on Twitter. Hashtag Muscle Hamster with your pick of who is the most scary player. I would pick Chase Young. Maybe that's my NFC East bias showing, but he's a he's a pretty big freak too. I think it's always the, it's always the edge rushers, right? Because those guys like they they can't just be like big because they have to be fast too. But they have to they also have to be big. So uh, just total freaks there. I think yeah, very easy call for our edge rushers. And defensive tackle talent in this division, I was impressed. Yes. Better than I realized. Like, it was a deeper pool. Sometimes with DT, it's like, oh, this this is a clear guy and let's move on. There's a bunch of dudes I threw in there. Uh, I went with Cam Hayward for Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Part of it for me is the guy never comes off the field. He has almost 4,000 yeah. snaps the past four seasons. That's pretty much a thousand snaps a year as a defensive tackle. That's incredible durability. And he's really good against the run in the pass, which you get a ton of credit for that for me. Yeah, I saw from his PFF ranking, uh, he ranked third out of interior players for them. And his PFF grade over the last four seasons is only behind Aaron Donald. Chris Jones and Fletcher Cox. So pretty dominant player in there. I don't, he might not get like the hype he truly deserves yep. uh, in there, but I think a really, really good player. Um, easy pick for me when it comes to Cam Hayward. And then did you say your other pick? No, my other pick would be Stefan Tuitt. He's mm. got 71 pressures last year. That's second only to Aaron Donald. And when you play defensive tackle and you can say only Aaron Donald is better than me, you're pretty damn good. Uh, to it coming off an 11 sack season. I considered going with Calais Campbell here because I, I really like him a lot, but yep. didn't have his best year last year. Only had four sacks. I still think a really good player. He's obviously getting older. Um, I, I had to think about him because he has such a, you know, a good career, a good track record. I, again, I think if we're talking about underrated, his career, I think kind of gets overlooked in some respects. He is a very good defensive lineman, also just unique with how tall he is and everything. But how about this for Pittsburgh? You know, so you have TJ Watt, you have Cam Hayward, you have to it. Like that's, it's a really strong defensive line. That's why their defense is freakishly good every year. And like, if you, if they didn't have that defense that they had last year, it would have been even uglier for Pittsburgh. Like they kept them in a lot of games. By the way, you mentioned Calais Campbell in terms of physically imposing. How six eight three hundred pounds strike you? I mean, I'm taller than him, so it's really not that big of a deal <laughs> to me. But for a lot That's of people, true. yeah, they would be intimidated. Yeah, you might be the most physically intimidating podcast host <laughs> of anybody out there. It's you. You can also, yeah, I mean, like not Stone Cold Steve Austin, not you know, like. <laughs> He's like professional athlete to have a podcast. Definitely me. Uh, I'll take it, Stats. Thank you. Yeah, see, there you go. I'm trying to give you a little bit of love. Um, Want to move to defensive back? Oh, uh, linebackers. 
I always skip the linebackers for some reason. I apologize mm. to the linebackers. Well, out there. stats, it'd be easy to in this division because let me tell you, there are not a lot of good linebackers, which is kind of like funny. That didn't seem right to me. Like I was looking through the depth charts here and I'm like, you know, the AFC North, they've got to have like, because I feel like they have a history, like a rich history. I mean, like you're talking about, you know, uh, Ray Lewis, like a ton of Steelers linebackers you could name. Like I just feel like there's, there's a history here. And I'm not really seeing it right now. I know a lot of people like LJ Fort, or at least, again, my Eagles bias showing here. Um, but I didn't want to put him on here. I only put one linebacker stats on my defense. I'm playing dime. I don't care. I don't need two <laughs> linebackers. I'm playing dime defense. There's more good defensive backs than there are linebackers. So I'm not wasting a spot on a linebacker. I'm taking Devin Bush kind of by default. He obviously isn't like this super proven product because he missed 11 games last year after tearing his ACL. But stats... Devin Bush only turned 23 a couple days ago. So I think the best wow. is yet to come for the number 10 overall pick from a few years ago. I think he has potential. I don't know if that he's ever really going to be a star, but like, it's easy to envision this guy like kind of being the next good Steelers linebacker in their historied franchise. That was exactly what I was going to say is that this division at linebacker, I feel like is more about potential right now than proven production. Uh, I did have Bush on my list. And then the other guy I had is Patrick Queen from the Ravens. Mm. Um, you talk about the Steelers tradition of linebackers. Pat, uh, the Ravens have one as well. Uh, obviously, you know, he's only played one season, but he's, again, another young guy, 21 years old. Uh, I think he's going to be better in year two than he was in year one. Had over 100 tackles, uh, 10 quarterback hits last year. I really like the Ravens player development. So, again, you're right. We're picking from a less than super impressive pool, but Bush and Queen were the two guys that stood out for me at linebacker. Moving to the secondary, I once again had three cornerbacks because you got to you got to include a slot guy in here. And the first, my number one corner stats. I'll start out with my guy number one. And again, I've used the word underrated and overrated a lot on the podcast recently. But I truly believe if we're talking about like one of the most underrated players in the NFL, because we did our most overrated episode, but we didn't do an underrated episode stats. And if we did, I might have Marlon Humphrey on the list. This guy is an elite cornerback. Like, I don't think people like, you know, I don't I don't think he necessarily comes to mind when you think about like the very best cornerback in the game or like one of them, but he should be up there. I mean, this is a really good player. He was PFF's third best cornerback on their list of cornerback rankings. He can play in the slot. He can play on the outside. I have a soft spot for him in the sense of like, he has that, he's like the new peanut Tillman of the NFL. He is, he does the peanut putts. He had eight forced fumbles last year, eight as a cornerback. That's awesome. I love Marlon Humphrey a lot. He can cover, he can play run defense. Like he can do it all. I think he's awesome. Sometimes with certain positions, I feel like we establish who the best guy is, and then we don't really think about everybody else. It's like, well, Jalen Ramsey's the best and whatever. Everybody else is second. And it's like maybe Marlon Humphrey is second, but there's there can be more than one elite player at a position, and you're right. He is it. And the other thing is the Ravens play a ton of man coverage, and he's on the inside and he's on the outside, like you said, and he's good at everything and don't just gloss over that forced fumble stat. Like, when you force a fumble on defense, it's chaos for the offense. It can ruin everything, even if you don't recover the fumble. Sometimes that's kind of more luck than anything else. You force a fumble, it's chaos. There's, like, no rules after the ball is fumbled. If you want to go truck the quarterback, you can. They're not going to throw a flag on you. Like, it is massive disruption for an offense, and he causes it, and he was my – 
top choice for sure. Although, like you said, there are a bunch of good corners in this division. I think Humphrey kind of gets hurt too by the fact that there was a perception for a little bit there that like Alabama defensive backs weren't good. I forget who else was in this mix, but like D Milliner was there. there like oh, they're like everyone was like, oh <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't take like a good uh, defensive back from Alabama, even though their defense is good. So I think he's obviously proven to shake that uh, reputation and, and be a really good player for the Ravens. Uh, my other pick is Denzel Ward. For if I mean, it doesn't necessarily matter where we're putting these guys because again, yeah. Humphrey has the versatility, and some of these guys have versatility, but Ward was my other pick uh obviously has just been a really good starter on the outside for the browns uh i think that's i don't even know what more to say it's just an obvious pick to me it's crazy that for a guy that was picked don't forget he was the fourth overall draft pick in 2018 i feel like nobody's keeping an eye on him like no one's like hey he hasn't lived up to his production because that's the baker draft for the browns right all the attention goes on baker number one draft pick quarterback all that well denzel ward is awesome since he's come into the league He's allowed just 51.4% of throws into his coverage to be caught. Like, that's incredible. That is very, very good, obviously. He's in the 96th percentile of PFF grades in single coverage since 2018. Denzel Ward is really, really good. And the fact that the Browns may have got their quarterback of the future and Denzel Ward in in the same round of 2018 is an amazing draft. He has seven interceptions, 40 passes defensed, and two forced fumbles in his career thus far. So he makes plays, which is something that Stats always loves. He allowed a 72.8 pass rating as a rookie, 62.2 pass rating in 2019, and then just a 78.3 pass rating last year. So pretty good. Amazing. Um, You talk about guys making plays. I got to get to the next guy on my list because this is like – I hesitate with this because it can burn okay. you. I know what it I, is. I went with Marcus Peters. Yep. Um, he's got 31 interceptions since 2015. That is nine more than mm-hmm. anybody else in the league. He's fifth in pass breakups in the same span. He's got 52 pass breakups. Now, the thing that makes me a little queasy, gives me agita, is he can get burned because he mm-hmm. takes risks. But I feel like you need a guy like that in your secondary sometimes. And I know it comes back to bite you, but sometimes those plays turn games. And, I, you know, like we said, we've got Ward, we've got Humphrey. Like, those are the solid, lockdown, dependable guys. I think you throw a guy like Peters into the mix, you know, I think that's kind of – that can be the finishing element for a really good defense. From like a, a philosophical standpoint at cornerback stats, I think obviously ideal world, you want a cornerback who never gives up a single catch, but that's not realistic. Right. And you can't have the perfect player. So if you're going to have the next best thing, I think the next best thing is a cornerback who kind of like is a high variance cornerback in terms of like he's going to give up some plays, but he's also going to make some really big plays. So I think that's kind of the risk reward you have to live with with Marcus Peters. And I think like it can there's there's situations where it can be more valuable. Yeah, he's going to give up big plays, but the plays that he makes are going to ultimately kind of outweigh the negative mistakes. So we have him here. And if we're talking about this as a real defense and you're putting him behind this defensive line and everything in the secondary. Right. Yeah, like I, I think he can afford to take a little bit more chances and be OK. Yeah, can you imagine the risks he would take with this, the rest of this defense around him? Like, he would just leave the receiver open for five yards and then break on the ball as soon as it was thrown. Um, but I, I just, he might give up some big plays, but if those plays don't go for touchdowns and he's also getting interceptions at the rate he's getting them, that's a net win for a defense, I think. 
Well, that and then also just the, the people we're talking about next year stats as we transition to the safeties, the people can kind of make up for his mistakes and maybe kind of cover, you know, cover up for him on the back end. So if we're talking about safeties, I think you have to start it off with Jesse Bates. You know, we haven't given the Bengals a lot of love here at all. This is actually their first defensive pick. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure if I'm looking at the list right. Um, this is Pro Football Focus's number one graded safety from last year. Uh, Jesse Bates has three interceptions in each of his three seasons thus far. He's made plays. He had 15 pass breakups last year. I just think you're talking about a guy who can cover really good, and it, that's a no-brainer pick to me. I know a lot of the film junkies out there like love Jesse Bates and probably agree with PFF's ranking uh, on him as like the, the NFL's top safety, so he's there to start my list. Only the second Cincinnati Bengal on the entire team from the division that we have chosen, but absolutely does everything you want to do as a safety. Like don't just look at the interception total. Obviously, like you said, 90.1 PFF grade last year, stud, awesome stud, no problems there. Who's your other safety? It's going to be Minka Fitzpatrick stats. Now I want to say before I get into Minka that, Leaving John Johnson, who the Browns signed this offseason, I think it was a great signing by them, you know, coming over from the Rams. It was hard to leave him off, but I didn't pick him, and I took Minka here uh, as my second safety. I do have a third safety, you know, for the record here, as I said, because I'm playing, I'm playing <laughs> dime. dime. I'm playing dime defense. Uh, Fitzpatrick allowed just a 65.7 passer rating last year. He had four interceptions, 11 passes defense, one forced fumble. Stats, you love players who score touchdowns. Minka Fitzpatrick has scored a defensive touchdown in each of his three seasons he's played thus far. So he's a defensive touchdown machine. How do you like that? I had him on my list as the number two safety. He's he's not Troy Palomalo. I don't want to make him onto that, but he's very similar in terms of he's so versatile. He can line up anywhere. The Dolphins were using him all over the place, which I think kind of hurt him because he never got to really hone in on one thing. The Steelers have kind of lessened that a little bit, but he can still play anywhere if you need him to. He's 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 like a weapon out there. He's unpredictable. I think he is the kind of guy that can cover up a bunch of mistakes like you were talking about. If you're, if you're going to throw Marcus Peters out there, I love Minka Fitzpatrick. I did have John Johnson down on my notes as well. Mm. Um and maybe, you know, people in the AFC aren't as familiar with him because he's coming over from the Rams, but he's never had a coverage grade lower than 80 when he's been healthy. And you're adding him to that defense with that pass rush, like you said. It was such a smart addition by the Browns. Going to my final pick here, I have one Chuck Clark stats. And here's why. I told you we're playing dime. So I need a guy who can play in the box. And the plurality of Chuck Clark snaps came in the box last year. It was about 34%. Maybe in this world, we have him like add an extra pound or two, kind of bulk up a tiny bit just more. Um, but this is a guy who kind of do different things. Obviously, he's playing in the box, so he's not just a pure cover safety, although he his second most amount of snaps were actually played at free safety. So they have him covering deep, and they also have him in the box. So the versatility there, I know uh, like Chuck Clark, the presence of him was a big reason why the, the Ravens were comfortable from moving on from Earl Thomas a couple of years ago. So the way he's emerged, I have have him here maybe I should have had John Johnson but you know I was thinking about specific roles here I think Clark just kind of fit that role well and also like again with what I did with linebacker it's kind of like you know I'm kind of cheating here so I just had to throw him in here so if you look at the makeup of the team I could be wrong I'm trying to do a quick tally I think the Browns the Browns lead with 10 right yeah I believe so 
And then I had the Ravens second, and then the Steelers third, and the Bengals last. The Browns. We're talking about mm-hmm. in terms of the entire division, the Browns lead by a wide margin. Do you think that that's how the teams will finish in the standings? Um, it really it very well could. You know, I think the Bengals stats, like I, I have a hard time feeling great about them with Burrow kind of, I just, like, you know, I think there's been talk that he's going to be fine, but I just, I, you know, I don't believe it until I see it. I think yep. coming off a significant injury like that is not something you can just gloss over. I've seen it with Carson Wentz. Um, the Steelers, I, I don't think they're going to fall off the cliff. Like a lot of people seem to think they are. I think Big Ben might still have something left in the tank. And even if he doesn't, I think that defense is going to keep them competitive. And you just look at their history. Like they don't, this isn't a team that finishes with losing records. Like they'll probably be at least like respectable. They're not going to be like, oh, in contention for the number one overall pick. Like they're going to be a, a tough team to play with that defense, especially like that defensive line is going to give them chances uh, to win games. Uh, yeah, but I, I guess the Browns should be kind of considered the favorites here when you just look at like talent alone, the talent that they have. And then even if you if we're going to pick a coach stats like we did when we did uh, the, the NFC North last week, aren't you taking uh, are you going with the Browns? No, no, no I don't. I mean, Mike Tomlin's never fancy. Mike Tomlin's never finished with a losing record mm. and he had a career with Duck Hodges or he had a year with Duck Hodges at quarterback. Like give him some credit for that. John Harbaugh obviously has a Super Bowl win. I think he's one of the best coaches in the entire league. I want to see I want to see a mm. little more from Stefanski before I give him number 1. I think I want to give it to John Harbaugh because okay. I don't I don't think Mike Tomlin is the best situational coach. I think John Harbaugh most of the time is on the ball. And this could be the scars from the Super Bowl in 2012, but I don't know if you remember it was late in the Super Bowl 2012. The 49ers get stopped Colin Kaepernick turns the ball over in the red zone, but there's still time left in the game. And so what does John Harbaugh do? The Ravens get stopped. They're going to punt and they're going to punt and out of their own end zone. And so he tells the entire team, hold them, hold them like crazy because we'll take the safety in the end zone. We don't care about the points because we have a big enough lead and it'll, it'll run time off the clock because we're going to have our punter run around in the end zone to take time off the clock. We're going to take the safety anyway. So he mm-hmm. just has them hold the refs in, a, I don't know why, I guess because it's a Super Bowl, decide they're just not going to call holding. So the 49ers could not get pressure on Sam Cook to force him to take the safety. So time is just tick, tick, ticking off the clock. I loved that from Harbaugh because it showed that he had thought through the entire situation. I To me, that's one of the biggest attributes that a head coach has to be able to bring with him. So I give John Harbaugh the edge. Harbaugh did something similar there in 2016, I believe. It was like against the Bengals, if I'm not mistaken, where he took like an intentional safety to end the game. He just wanted to run the clock out. He didn't. They, they had to punt. It was like a fourth down in their situation yep. where they had to punt. And instead of doing that, he just took the safety because it didn't matter. And the game can expire on safety. So that's what he did. Um, it's kind of interesting because Harbaugh and Tomlin are both like what we call like CEO kind of type head coaches. So it kind of depends who their coordinators are, I guess, you know, for if we're considering that if we're just going like head coach alone and I don't know who the coordinators are, then I think I would take Stefanski just because of what the Browns did on offense last year. And I think of the offensive talent we built on this team, I think I like his chances of maximizing that as opposed to, I don't know if Harbaugh and, uh, and Tomlin are really maximizing an offense themselves, depending again on their coordinators. So uh, yeah, but Hey, it's a it's a coach or sorry it's a division filled of good head coaches except for Zach Taylor who I think shouldn't have a job <laughs> uh, but I guess he'll get more chances here. The one last thing I wanted to say stats is uh, I did special teams last week. I couldn't really do that this week for punter 
and long snapper. I just didn't feel strongly enough about it, but obviously it's Justin Tucker at kicker. There's no kicker in the league right now. I would trust more with my season on the line than Justin Tucker. And that's from any distance too, by the way, you can kick it long, short, like whatever. I have no worries about Justin Tucker. And as a kicker, I don't know if there's anyone else in the league. I can say that about where I'm just not even, it's not even a thought in my head. And I get Ajita anytime there's a field goal attempt. The, Ravens came to Eagles training camp a few years ago stats. Actually, they did it twice since the time I've been covering the Eagles. And Justin Tucker, like just watching him warm up and then like practice some of these like 70, like 75 yard field goals. And he's like, not only is he hitting them, he's hitting them right down the middle. It's like a perfect (laughs) take. It's it's like awesome to see. Yeah. When you see in real life stuff like that, I think it's like it comes across obviously much differently than it does on TV. Uh, By the way, we should point out and you've kind of been sprinkling it in here. Check out the SB Nation communities for not just this division, but every division. But in this case, Baltimore beatdown for the Ravens, Cincy Jungle for for the Bengals, Dogs by Nature for the Browns, and why am I blanking on the other team in the division right now? Behind the Steel Curtain for the Steelers. Yeah, absolutely. All great sites. Uh, and maybe they'll listen to this and get mad at us, or they'll like what we did. Hopefully, we'll see. It wouldn't be the first time a team from the AFC North took issue with something we said on the show. And look, we're, we love it. Like we're happy to come on and fight about it. Basically. Like we'll put the gloves up and let's go. We can go 15 rounds. Yeah. And we'll also beat you up too. So watch out. Well, we do have the most physically imposing podcast host, (laughs) six, nine BLG raining down blows from above. You're like the Ivan Drago of podcast hosts. (laughs) How dare you compare me to Ivan Drago, Rocky's nemesis stats? This is you're, you're like you're 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 mixing things here. You're like you're going against the Philly thing. I, I get what you're saying, but but come on, be careful. I I don't think there's any way that Drago loses to Rocky. By the way, in any wow, like, I, I don't like I I think Shots that was bogus. I think Drago is the best fighter in the Rocky universe. Hmm. Are you mad that there's a Rocky statue in Philly stats? I feel like that's something you might be mad about. No, I think it was hilarious that basically you could argue that the best athlete in Philly history was the fictional one. I kind of like that, though, especially in light of maybe some other statues being taken down in recent years <laughs> around you know the world. Um, it's like someone who, you know, in theory is more like this person like can't be like found out to hopefully have done bad things. I mean, obviously, there's an actor involved, too. So so knock on wood there. But uh, anyway, uh, there's a fun episode stats. As always, training camp. So as of we're recording this, I think a lot of most teams, obviously a couple teams have already you know started to show up and everything, and then some teams have rookies report earlier. Yep. But all teams, by this time next week, I believe, on Wednesday, July 28th, I think will at least, at the very least, if not more, be having their first training camp practice. Yes! Yes! We're so close! I can't wait. This season is going to be so much fun on the SB Nation NFL show. It is going to be fantastic. We are almost there. Uh, We want to remind you again, please rate, review, follow the SB Nation NFL show. If you leave us a question, of course, we will answer it, as we say, every single time, because we read them, and we do. It's contrary to internet logic. I know we read the comments, but we do appreciate it. It really does help us out a lot. So if you could take an extra second and do that again, thank you. BLG, have a good week, and I will talk to you next week. Boom. Boom.